Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough. Welcome. And if it's your first time joining us, But I Digest is a semi-regular podcast where every episode we feature a specific food item, and then we meander through its backstory, kind of cherry-picking the choicest or the ugliest or the strangest, but always the lowest-hanging fruits along the way. And today, we are taking those juicy fruits and smashing them together between two slices of bread because our topic today is sandwiches. Sandwiches. So, uh, Steve, if I had to ask, are, are you a sandwich guy by default? Is that kind of a go-to food oh, for you? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I have been a white guy most of my life. <laughs> Love of a sandwich with quite a bit of mayonnaise. Oh, I'm um, on team mayonnaise, too. Mayonnaise is a, a must. Definitely. You know, in fact... Already, already, I'm going to get off topic. You know, as as chefs, when people ask us questions a lot in interviews, right? They will say, "What is your last meal? What, what, what if you knew you were dying? What would be your last request?" Right? Right. And I think I always, in fact, I know I always disappoint people because my answer would be a sandwich. I would want a thick turkey sandwich with a Jersey tomato, a warm Jersey tomato, with just a little too much mayonnaise some chips and a beer. And because to me, that is like the greatest, most comforting type of food. No, I totally agree. And when you say a little too much mayonnaise, when the tomato juice, when the juice from a ripe tomato yes. mixes with the mayonnaise yes. and you have that little pool on the bottom of the plate or on your elbow or wherever it ends up, that's the stuff. Yep. Yes. And yep. that gets back to last week's with the fry sauce a bit. Oh, it is. I mean, in fact, it'll come full circle. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, yeah. which I, okay, I tend right. to do. So, but before we dive into uh, between the breads here, let's kind of define our terms because the word sandwich, which we'll get into the etymology of that, it's, uh, let's just start with the Oxford Dictionary, right? When you're when in doubt, let's go to the dictionary. And it defines it as being a food consisting of two pieces of bread with meat, cheese, or other filling between those pieces of bread eaten as a light meal. So I, I already have some some issues with the Oxford term because I've had many a sandwich that were not a light meal, number one, because uh, <laughs> it's oftentimes it becomes an yeah. epic uh, event. Uh, but the two pieces of bread I have issue with because I'm an open-faced uh, sandwich kind of guy at times. Are you really? Yeah. I, yeah. I, okay. All right. I mean, so, so it's a very German thing that you have a you have the bread as the platform and you kind of pile things up and you eat it with a knife and fork, right? So yeah, um, I don't really understand that. I mean, I get <laughs> it with like a hot brown or something, but that yeah. is something different to me because, like you said, it's a platform and you've got the gravy. If if we're talking about a hot brown, and it's in the melted cheese, and that's all part of what's what's uh, the bread is soaking up. Yeah, but I like to pick up a sandwich. No, I, I, I don't you. know that I understand you. Well, so well, I, I get it. And then maybe that's a cultural thing. But in the terms of our conversation today, so then if it's between bread, is a hot dog then considered a sandwich? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. What do you think? I mean, I'm no. not saying we're not the definitive judges of this, no, but I mean, get the hell out of here. That's not a sandwich. <laughs> well, there are. You'd be surprised. There, there is a raging debate uh, on this. Is a taco a sandwich? Is a quesadilla a sandwich? Is a pop tart a sandwich? So there, a these pop tart are... is a sandwich if you take two pop tarts, <laughs> two of the raspberry pop tarts, the unfrosted ones, and layer a thick slab of peanut butter in between two. Mm toasted plain strawberry pop tarts you got you got a you got a breakfast sammy there my friend <laughs> or a diabetic coma whichever comes first <laughs> uh, i so, do love a pop tart and peanut butter it's true yeah. but anyway 
Well, so I, yeah, but, but we uh, digress, digest. So that's kind of where my mind was. Because again, falling into team open face sandwich, just that definition of having the, the second slice of bread. I don't know if that's obligatory. I kind of feel like that's an optional thing. And plus as a guy with, uh, with no stomach, that second piece of bread sometimes is just gratuitous, right? I don't need that second piece of bread. I got that that meat to bread or filling to bread ratio. It's pretty magic sometimes when you don't have that extra piece of bread. Don't don't get me started on a club sandwich. Don't come at me with that <laughs> random third piece of yeah. carbohydrate. Yep. Don't need it. I don't I don't get it. I don't but get it. You still haven't answered your question. Is a taco a sandwich? Do you think a quesadilla is a sandwich? Because I think you're full of crap. Well, so I, I think, I think you're it, a crap sandwich, huh? <laughs> I, well, yeah, I'm definitely the filling in a crap sandwich. Well, it, I kind of think of it like uh, a, a, like a scientist would in that I feel like they share a, a common ancestor, uh, but I would not call it a sandwich. No, I think they are um, they're kind of on the same family tree, but they they kind of branched off like lemurs did from the primates, uh, if I'm not getting too nerdy. But you know what I mean? They're kind of monkeyish, but they're not monkeys. What about uh, a wrap? So you're no, I mean, I want you to rap about sandwich. I want you to do your oh, sandwich gosh. rap. No, that would be uh, that would be the worst episode <laughs> of any podcast ever if the white German guy tried to do a rap. I uh, used to have a stomach and my name is Hans. <laughs> oh, you've already got farther than, uh, than I need a baguette if I went to France. Oh, man. Hans oh. and Franz. There's a Hans and Franz uh, connection there, too. Uh <laughs> Very good. That's going to be our new theme song. I love it. We'll cut that uh, one out. Of yeah, cut, nah, yeah, go on. That's awesome. So, uh, so yeah. So let's let's jump back to sort of how all this started and what team we land on on what encompasses a sandwich. Really, is is sort of a personal preference. But you know, as when you start diving into the history of anything, you always have to ask the question: just because this is the point in history where somebody actually wrote it down doesn't necessarily mean it's the point in history where it happened, right? I kind of feel like from the invention of bread, which would be an entirely separate episode, but once you discover bread and you have figured that whole business out, bread and almost anything is kind of a magic combination, right? Whether you got two pieces, one piece, whether you fold it, whether you tear it, whether you wrap it, whether you, you know, sandwich it. I don't know that anyone has invented putting bread and something else together. Right. I, I agree. I, th- yeah. I thought when I kept seeing the word inventing a sandwich, I kept thinking, oh, maybe creating. Yeah. Or, or but, but even then, it's the point where somebody wrote it down. That's the point where we kind of frame it. But it's almost, again, like when, when Christopher Columbus discovered, um, I'm doing air quotes for the listeners, I'm discovered America. He didn't discover America. Right. I mean, there were people here that are going, who's this dude? You know, wearing the fancy pants and the, the frilly shirt. He didn't discover anything. <laughs> So Spanish sandwich (laughs) yeah, with all sorts of uh, infectious diseases he brought with him. That's (laughs) that's between his fancy Spanish sandwich, Uh, different episode. So the going in then to recorded history, kind of the first recorded uh, version of what we now call a sandwich goes back to the first century BC. Uh, So a long time ago with a famous rabbi, Hillel the Elder, and he lived in the first century BC, although he didn't know it was BC because he was just living his life. Um, But he started the Passover custom of sandwiching uh, together this mixture of chopped nuts, apples, spices uh, that were kind of simmered with wine. And he would sandwich them between two matzos and eat that with some bitter herbs. And that filling was meant to be a reminder of the suffering of the Jews before their deliverance from Egypt. And the, the sort of filling represented the mortar used by the Jews in their forced labor of constructing these Egyptian pyramids, right? So that's a, I mean, if that really was his intent, that was a really well thought out, uh, a lot of symbolism in that simple 
concoction of food smashed between matzahs. I'd eat so, that. Oh, man, I would eat that. Now. And, and, you know, the word bitter, they say bitter herbs. I hate that the word bitter has become this negative thing. I like bitter. I agree. I mean, and you know how I feel about cocktails. Cocktails oh, yeah. always need some bitter. Well, maybe not always, but I really prefer a cocktail with bitter because it gets your appetite going. You know, bitter and it, bitter literally helps you digest. The bitterness hits your palate and it helps create bile. So when you are eating bitter foods, it is helping you to digest those. Uh, that's why the digestives are always so bitter. I uh, listen. I feel like I've become this expert on uh, on digestion, uh, given that mine is so uh, radically in my uh, in my face all the time. But uh, as a, as a kid, going uh, when I would visit my family in Germany, even as a as a young child, we would have Underberg at the end of a meal, which is this very bitter little shot. I don't know if you're familiar with Underberg, but it it tastes similar to like a Jägermeister. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was just what you did at the end of a meal to aid in digestion. It almost sort of signals the body, hey, now it's time to start working this stuff up. Right. Right. So anyway, I just hate that it's become this personality trait now. You know, it's become a negative. I don't think of it a negative at all. It's uh, it's that well, when people tell me I'm bitter, they usually mean it in a negative way. Well, I would I would just turn that it's around hurtful. on them. Hans, it's hurtful. Well, you could just tell them I'm glad I'm aiding in your digestion. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, so that's our first recorded example of something being sandwiched and sandwich has become a verb now too right so we, we are sandwiching that in between two uh, two pieces in this case of matzo which is like an unleavened uh, sort of a breadish sort of product so that's that, that's kind of where we start when we're looking back in history and then during the middle ages so as we get into this sort of random parentheses of time bread was being used almost like a plate Right. And being from the restaurant industry, both of us, anytime you can get away with making a meal where you're not incorporating China or having something to wash afterwards, that's a positive for me. So uh, don't throw the plates out, eat the plates. So they were making these things called trenchers using these thick slices or blocks of coarse, stale bread. Uh, and in my mind, there is no such thing as stale bread. You can always find something to do with stale bread. So in this case, they were piling on meats and other foods on top of these trenchers. And you could either eat the bread with your fingers, kind of using it almost like if you've ever eaten um, uh, in an Ethiopian restaurant, that injera bread, you know, you can kind of use yeah. the bottom of the plate to wrap up some of the sticky goodness or... That um, if you if you had plenty of food by the time you got down to that bottom piece of bread, if it was sort of a knife and fork meal, if you didn't feel like you wanted to eat that piece of bread, it was kind of a common practice then to donate that in a way uh, or alms. You've heard of alms for the poor. Uh, they would give that then to the less fortunate uh, who would then get this sort of rehydrated bread. And it had, you know, all of the the drippings, the sauce, the the fats from the meal ahead of time. So it wasn't like they were just giving them a piece of stale bread, although it was kind of a bit of a cast off, you know, so they were doing a good used. Deed. They are giving them their used plate. Yeah. To yeah. eat. But, you know. Yeah. You know, if people are starving, then yep. great. That I'll sounds yep. nutritious. You know, the you've got some fat there, but uh, that is... Um, yeah, would they throw it to the, maybe 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 the dogs? Yeah, that, that that's true too. Actually, it it uh, there was mentioned that oftentimes those would be used to feed uh, either dogs or to feed pigs that would eventually end up being 
on a future trencher in some uh, in some capacity trend. yes uh, future trenchers of america of yes it is the circle of bacon i think in this case but but anyway so that that if you think about it kind of is the predecessor to what i now refer to as an open face sandwich because it, it didn't have that top piece of bread because at this point this was stale bread that was oftentimes the cast off from the baker like the baker it was either going to be used as a doorstop or as a, uh, a, a some sort of an attack weapon an assault weapon because uh, I literally made my sister cry. Um, well, I made her cry probably lots of times, but physically made her cry when I bonked her on the head with a German, what's called Brotchen, which are these little really hard breakfast breads. Uh, so <laughs> bread can get quite deadly when it gets stale. <laughs> you, hit her, you hit that little matron with a Brotchen, did you? I, I, hit my, I hit my sister, mein Schwester, mit der Brotchen. Yes, uh, and I, I never repeated that again. But anyway, uh, so... Again, in my mind, there's no such thing as a stale piece of stale bread because it can turn into breadcrumbs. It can turn into a gazpacho or you can, you know, you can always do something with stale bread. Uh, but in this case, it became the the plate or the platform for, again, what we would now call an open face sandwich, which I to my to my mind is quite an awesome thing. So the the term sandwich i keep using it pretty ubiquitously now as if it's a standard and it is it's it's become our standard as vernacular as if it's a standard what yeah i would say it's probably yeah. in our lexicon it i think is. you can use the word sandwich and i think most of the people i would say 85% of the people know what you're talking about the other 15% <laughs> so. are listening going what the hell is it what how you say this uh, yeah. sandwich they probably don't speak English. And even if they don't speak English, I think that word is pretty much transcultural uh, now. But so let's talk about the origin of that term, right? So uh, going looking back at recorded history, that term doesn't pop up, though, uh, until kind of the mid 1700s. And there's a um, there's this gentleman's gaming club uh, that's hand that's being held at the London's Beefsteak Club. Uh, and it was held at, at the Shakespeare Tavern. And it's sort of credited with being the inventors of what we now call a sandwich or sort of the modern sandwich, which ahead of that term was pretty much just called meat and bread, right? Not a lot, uh, not a lot of marketing research went into that title. What are we going to call this dish of meat and bread? How about meat and bread? I mean, it's truth and advertising. I used to go to a gay bar called meat and bread <laughs> in the late 80s. Are you being serious? No. No. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great name. I mean, I... You know, why not? Right. Check it out. <laughs> Although I used to work. Did you know I used to bartend at a, a bar here in Chicago called The Manhole? The Me. Manhole. Me. I bartended there. That's pretty awesome. Oh gosh. That's a total, again, another yeah, episode for another day. Um, <laughs> so going back to the Shakespeare Tavern. So it was a kind of limited thing, this London's Beefsteak Club and some pretty famous people. It was originally limited to 25, 24 members. And then they added a 25th member when they brought in the Prince of Wales, not our current Prince of Wales. Uh, and also uh, for those that are not non-native English speakers, I don't mean uh, W-H-A-L-E-S, because that's a completely different uh, prince, the Prince of Wales. What the hell are you doing right now? I know it. I'm what sorry. What are you doing? What's happening? I just had this great idea for like a kid's book, The Prince of Wales, and it just seems like this whole I'm side afraid, story. I'm uh, afraid our ex-president already tweeted that a couple of years back. Oh, uh, well. We won't talk about his blowhole. Um, <laughs> ah, your blowhole. Anyway, so the but this original sandwich from from this uh, this London's Beefsteak Club was essentially just a piece of salt beef layered between two slices of toasted bread, which sounds delicious, right? Salty dried beef between two pieces of toast. Uh, you're British. Do you toast on one side or two sides? 
Two sides. Two side, me too. Yeah, I'm definitely two side toast kind of guy. Yeah, uh, that's what it's supposed to do. So there's a there's a great quote. So around 19, uh, not 1965. Oh, that's a completely different. Uh, in 1765, there was this travel guide to London called Grosley's Tour of London. And that's the first time that we sort of get the term sandwich kind of thrown out there. And he went to this this kind of public house, this public gaming house, um, and saw this uh, this little secret club here, or not not so secret, I guess, this club, uh, having their sandwich. And the whole time they were playing their card games, they were eating these th- this thing of which was beef between two slices of sandwich. And that way it allowed them to play without having to stop and eat or grab a knife and fork. They could hold their hand of cards in one hand and then hold their sandwich in the other hand. Right. And, and not mess up their cards. Yep, exactly. It, right. it's, it's this perfect self-contained food item. So you can multitask. It's sort of the advent of, uh, of multitasking food. And so this uh, Grossly, who wrote this tour, accredited this style of eating or this thing by the name of the minister who invented it. And that was attributed to John Montague, who was the fourth Earl of Sandwich. Uh, okay. And so that's kind of the first attribute. And with that kind of crazy history, I'm going to pass the uh, the slices of bread over to you. Well, I will tell you also that um, John Montague, the, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, also was the head of the Royal Navy, and he financed Captain Cook's exploration of the Caymans. And so that's where the Sandwich Islands came from, because Captain Cook named it after, after him. I think it's so- great if you can discover something and name it after yourself. Oh, I would so do that. Are you yeah. kidding? I think I need to do that oh this afternoon. <laughs> so totally do that. So I really delved into the sandwich family and quite quite enjoyed this. First, I went back to the first Earl of Sandwich, which was Edward Montague. He was the fourth Earl's great-grandfather. He also is credited with inventing a food. Oh, yeah, what's that? He invented what the English call a chalk ice, C-H-O-C-I-C-E, like chocolate ice. So he was the uh, ambassador to Spain in the 17th century, and Spain was holding a monopoly in the chocolate trade. So he would bring back chocolate recipes for Charles II. And at that point, you you drank chocolate. You didn't eat it. You drank it as a medical remedy. So he's, invent- he's uh, credited with inventing the chalk ice. If you look at it now, the English, when they talk about chalk ice, it's like a Klondike bar, you know, right. that kind of bar block of vanilla ice cream surrounded in the chocolate shell. Yeah, kind of flaky, you know, that falls off as you eat it. That's yeah, part yeah. Of the fun that, of it. And that was really started in the 1920s. But when they go back to the first Earl's journal, which they have is 350 year old journal, it includes this recipe for this iced chocolate dessert. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read it to you. You ready? Yep. It goes, prepare ye chocolatey. Prepare ye chocolate. <laughs> do you know what that's from? Prepare uh, ye chocolate. Do not. Is it a is it a Broadway thing it's again? It's a Broadway this... musical. Dang it! You don't know it. Um, day by day, day by day. What nineteen? 19... Okay. Here we go again. Editor Natalie. Here we go. It's time for Editor Natalie. Time for <laughs> Stump the Straight Guy. God. What nineteen seventies? Broadway musical written by Stephen Schwartz. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul. Yeah. You know? I Turn feel like, back, oh man. I feel like you're shooting fish in a barrel at this point. It's too easy. It's, it's too Matilda easy to stump again. me. It's, it's Matilda. No, again. See, again, you're picking on me for seeing the one. I did see okay. Les Mis. I'm done with you. Okay. All, all of you who know this, I want you to go to the Facebook page, but I digest pod, go to our Facebook page, give me the answer. And again, I don't care if you're the 
the 40th person to give us the answer, I will still give you a like, and I will acknowledge your Broadway uh, knowledge. Get I'll me acknowledge one down. Your knowledge. All right. So prepare ye chocolati, and then put ye vessel that hath ye chocolati in it into a carafe of snow, stir together with some salt, and shake ye snow together sometime, and it will put ye chocolati into tender curdled ice, and so eat it with spoons, and eat also Naples biscuit along with it. This way is much used for pleasure in ye heat of summer, but is held unwholesome, and one is obliged to better security to drink hot chocolati in a quarter of an hour thereafter. I wish you would talk like this all the time, the entire <laughs> podcast. From now into perpetuity, I think you should talk with adding a lot of extra Ys and Es into everything you say. Oh, yeah. And the spelling is brilliant. Yeah, I love it. So that's pretty cool that he's credited with, uh, with inventing that. So that brings me to the current Earl of Sandwich. His name is John Montague as well, same as the fourth Earl. He's the Right Honorable 11th Earl of Sandwich. Do you know what you would call him? I, uh, master, your, your, your honor. You can call him Lord Sandwich. Ooh, that's fancy. That's what you would call him, Lord Sandwich. Doesn't he sound like the lamest episode on Star, on Star Wars? <laughs> Lord Sandwich. <laughs> I, I find your lack of manners disturbing. <laughs> I, I killed him with a butter knife. <laughs> I cut him into four neat triangles and stabbed him with frill picks. But now he's a member of the club. Yes. <laughs> you could say I clubbed him as well. Yes, he's been clubbed. So now the, the current Earl of Sandwich, he looks exactly how you think he looks. He's got kind of this uh, kind of stringy hair, kind of comb over, and he's always wearing like very busy English sweaters with a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of pattern on it and tweed. He looks like a character out of a board game. Like if they redid Clue, they should cast the current Lord oh, of Sandwich. It would be perfect because then you could say that he did it in the dining room with a club. <laughs> see, what, see what I did there? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. So he's married to his wife, Caroline, and these are their, their children. They have Lady Jemima Montague, which Lady happens to be Jemima. the same name as the Earl of Sandwich's daughter. But the reason I had to say this is because I just really wanted to say Lady Jemima Montague. <laughs> and if I had another child, I would possibly name her Lady Jemima. I love it. He's got Luke um, Montague. Now, this is this is pretty interesting because they have a family estate called Mapperton and Luke lives there with his wife and they take care of Mapperton. Now, by all accounts, Luke is a normal bloke. He was addicted to prescription painkillers and now he doesn't drink, no caffeine, and he works with the Dalai Lama. He seems like a really interesting, cool guy, Luke. He's married to um, a woman named Julie who is an American from Illinois. And she is a reality TV star. They have the Ladies of London on Bravo, which is pretty much the Real Housewives of London, I guess. She's on that, or she was before it was canceled. She's a cookbook author and a blogger and a yoga instructor. So Julie is not eating the sandwiches. <laughs> and she does this video diary on the upkeep of Mapperton. And yeah, kind of, there's a part of you when you read this, you're like, okay, I'm all set to make fun of these people. But they're really interesting. They're really interesting. She's doing these, how she shows you how they cleaned and drained the 18th century swimming pool. And she's showing you how the, how this place is falling apart and they have to fix the leaks. It, it's a, Mapperton, it's a 2000 acre estate. It's a sandstone manor, 15 acres of gardens and a croquet lawn and topiary, just tumbling countryside. And it's stunning. It's so beautiful. But, you know, like Downton Abbey or something, it's, it's super expensive to run. It costs nearly 300 grand a year to run. And where is it? It is in I Dorset. In Dorset. It's the southwest of England. Where does my family live? 
I think they live in uh, Dorset. In, in Dorset. It's about That's... an hour from uh, where my family lives. So I really want to go and visit it because they do weddings there tours. So they, they have to they have to keep up this estate. So they're doing all kinds of things now. Very, very much what you would expect a current Earl to do. How am I going to keep up all of this property? They're doing, they've got a cafe that's doing toasties, not really sandwiches, believe it or not. And they rent it out for a movie set. Far from the maddening crowd, Mapperton. Restoration with uh, Robert Downey, Mapperton. Mapperton. And uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma, Mapperton. I, so I can't believe they're not serving sandwiches there. That's insane. They do a little. Mostly they're doing like cream teas and things like that. It's yeah. a missed opportunity. No, there is not a missed opportunity because the current Earl of Sandwich is a bit of a sellout. Maybe <laughs> he's making some sandwiches. He's still making some sandwiches. Good. What he's done with his other son, Orlando, the Honorable Orlando Montague, they have sold the title and the rights to Earl of Sandwich, to um, Planet Hollywood. And they've opened a chain of restaurants called Earl of Sandwich. Oh, by the way, Planet Hollywood is owned by Robert Earl. It's very confusing, isn't it? Yeah, it is confusing. And you know what? It's even more confusing. I have eaten, I didn't realize this till right now, I have eaten at an Earl of Sandwich in Orlando. Yeah, in Disney. Yeah, so that's another. It was uh, the Honorable Orlando Montague has oh, an yeah. Earl of Sandwich in Orlando. <laughs> that's true. So this is what they do now. He's in this in this poor Schlemiel, poor poor eleventh Earl of Sandwich. This poor guy, because of this, I mean, Planet Hollywood has a huge PR team, right? So they're constantly doing. There's loads of articles. When you Google this man, there's dozens of pictures of this guy pretending to eat a sandwich. Every time there's a camera, somebody stuffs a sandwich in this guy's hand and he has to hold it up to his mouth to pretend to bite. It's just picture after picture of this poor guy with a sandwich. There's one of him sitting in a golf cart holding up a sandwich. It's just, oh, I feel bad for him. <laughs> he's probably so over sandwiches. Yeah, he probably anyway, gets, got, like, he has like a nervous tick at this point. He sees in a sandwich, he's going to have like a reaction. <laughs> they've got like 30 of them now across you know in here like i said disney in the philippines canada when you google the earl of sandwich he doesn't come up the sandwich chain comes up now so the website for earl of sandwich uh restaurants they have trademarks all over it including the word sandwich wow yeah, I, I didn't do a lot of research into that that just seemed like another show but well you know that's that's almost like when you sing the happy birthday song there was always this sort of uh floating rumor that you owed somebody some royalties if you sang the happy birthday song. So I wonder if I make a uh, little Heidi, a grilled cheese sandwich, if I have to call it a, uh, a cheese and bread concoction, so I don't get dinged with a copyright infringement. <laughs> um, so the, my favorite thing on the website is that they're kind of, they're kind of doing these dubious claims now about their, their, our family knows great sandwiches. We invented the sandwich and have been eating them since 1762. Using 250 years of experience today, we have set up Earl of Sandwich trademark <laughs> to make delicious sandwiches for you. Like the family is spending 250 years, like, you know, every holiday. Are we having turkey? Are we having goose? Are we having goose, Grandpa? No, we'll be having sandwiches. We'll all be working <laughs> on them, trying to perfect the correct amount of horseradish. So they've got sandwiches like the original 1762, which is roast beef and horseradish and cheddar. They've got the full Montague. Ah, clever. I know. I know. So the sandwiches are not, they, they're a little updated and gimmicky. And so they're playing kind of fast and loose. And all of the sandwiches are on, it looks like a delicious roll, kind of a hoagie roll, but they're not on traditional cut bread from the same loaf. What do you mean? 
Like if you, a lot of people might think of a sandwich as a loaf of bread and you're taking two slices of that bread from that loaf to make a sandwich. Is it always a sandwich if you're just making it from a roll, one roll that you've cut? Well, I mean, if it's sandwiched between two pieces of bread, it, nothing in the uh, our official description describes that it has to be from the same loaf. So yeah, I think it's a sandwich. All right. All right, I'll give that to you. But that's all I have to say, except that um, if you're interested, they're selling franchises. Nice. I wonder if you have to bring your own mayonnaise uh, to that thing or how that works. But I, uh, I, Did I, I mention I love mayo. I do too. Mayonnaise is, is pretty awesome, which uh, is an ingredient in the recipe that I'm about to share with you. Time for recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. All right. So our sandwich today, I am calling The Monday. And a little backstory, my family owned and operated a restaurant for 43 years, and we lived for most of that time above the restaurant. So we were 13 and a half steps. I counted a half step because there was literally a half step. Uh, We live upstairs and on Mondays we were closed. And so there was always something to do living above a restaurant, which also had 18 guest rooms. So There was, even though it was our day off, it wasn't really a day off. It was the sort of get stuff done day. And ultimately it would fall on my dad to feed us come either lunch or dinner or dunch, you know, that sort of weird time between lunch and dinner, dinner, dunch. You know what I mean? Um, Neither of those work for me. (laughs) Well, whatever you call it, the late lunch, when we would have a late lunch uh, at the point where everybody went, oh crap, we forgot to eat. Uh, he would go into the kitchen and the griddle is off. The oven is off. Every, you know, it's a closed kitchen. And he would just sort of MacGyver something, you know, together. And oftentimes it would be uh, a cold, you know, duck breast that we had left over with some mustard or it would be, you oh, know, whatever we found. That sounds but great. It was that, really. That really sounds great. I love No, that. I loved it. It was fun. And oftentimes we, he would par cook some veal cordon blues if it was going to be a busy shift. And so we would have these leftover veal cordon blues. He would just slice into slivers and we would eat those, you know, cold yeah. with mustard, pretty much anything yeah. with mustard would be, right. would be lunch. Right. Uh, but this particular sandwich that I'm mentioning was became a, a standard and a family favorite. So what he would do again, closed kitchen, uh, instead of using girdle, he would use this really ridiculously big uh, cast iron skillet that came with the restaurant. So when we bought it in 1975, <laughs> there was this giant, I mean, you know, huge, probably 14 inch bottom cast iron skillet, probably from the fifties. And he would throw that on some heat and he would take a couple slabs of bacon, a couple strips of bacon and render some of that fat out. We always had bacon that was already cut and crumbled for like spinach salads or anytime you'd need bacon crumbles. We would have that on hand. I mean, real bacon, not, not those bacon bits, like actual bacon bits. Right. right. So Yeah. So he would kind of render a little fat out of the bacon and then use that as the base of a toasted sandwich. So he would then take some some thick sliced sourdough bread, put it into that bacon greasy cast iron skillet, put a layer of Thousand Island dressing on that bread, which as a kid, I thought it was called Thousand Island because there were a thousand little islands in there. I didn't know there was a place in the world known as thousand island oh um, i like that yeah so i just i assume well, maybe they, that is why they call it that though well no i did a little it's research named after the, the islands but also because there's a thousand little island that's there's so a thousand sweet. little pickle yeah <laughs> little little tiny pickle like islands that. so that was my childhood uh, justification for thousand island but i love thousand island because it is mayonnaise mm-hmm. and like we were talking about it's got a tomato element so that that combination of tomato and mayonnaise together Plus, I love a good pickle. I am a pickle freak. 
Uh, so having the relish in there is fantastic. So layer of Thousand Island dressing, which was always in the fridge. Uh, and then he would do Swiss cheese. And it's always had to be Swiss cheese, which I love. It's got that kind of little bit of astringency to it. Uh, and then some great sliced tomatoes. My dad was a tomato file. He, we grew our own tomatoes. So we always had in the summertime, fresh tomatoes just outside the kitchen. And then we would take a little of those bacon crumbles and then another layer of Swiss cheese and then either toast that open face like Germans often do, or uh, throw another piece of bread on there and flip it and get the outside crunchy with the bacon grease. But you would have this perfect melt of all of those things kind of gooing together. It was the kind of sandwich that dripped off of your elbows, but it was also like, like many meals. It wasn't just the sandwich. It was the fact that we as a family would sit down together with no customers, no pressure and have that sandwich together. So that was on my like, Monday. Like that scene in Big Night. I don't when know what Big Night just is. Sitting there. You've never seen Big Night? No, but I'm going to based on your enthusiasm. Hans, you've never seen Big Night? Also, nope. feel free to go to the go to Twitter. Take to take to whatever social media you want to, and yell at Hans for never seeing <laughs> Big Night. Oh my goodness! Well, this is this is the whole platform here. We're sharing, and now I know I've never heard of it, but now I know to sit down and watch Big Night. You've never. Oh my! I can't. I, I know can't. the show is over. I quit the show. <laughs> I quit the podcast. Listen, I'm going to tell you about my cocktail. Name. Go for it. I want to revisit the first Earl of Sandwich. He was a member of the Hellfire Club. Did you ever hear of the Hellfire Club? In England, they would meet in these caves and it was a, a group of politicians, important men, very eyes wide shut kind of thing where they did a lot of drinking and wenching and debauchery. Their motto was do what thou wilt. And um, Ben Franklin would go when he was in England and uh, John Wilkes, who was a very well-known journalist and politician, but also known as the ugliest man in England. Wow. And he said, that's okay. He, he, <laughs> he owned it. And, and of course, the first Earl of Sandwich, who got really ticked off at John Wilkes and tried to destroy him because during one of their rituals, when they were trying to uh, see if they can conjure Satan, and they are talking to the devil during one of these crazy rituals, which of the following happened? Did John Wilkes spring on the first Earl of Sandwich, A, a baboon dressed as Satan, B, a drag queen dressed as Charles II, or C, Charles II dressed as a satanic baboon? Oh, I love all of them. And I feel like this is one of those times where I would like to answer D, all of the above. Uh, but I'm going to go with B. I'm going to say it was a drag queen. No, he had a baboon. Now, the best story, there's a couple different stories, but the best one is that he had the baboon in some kind of a spring box and it he gave it horns and made it, you know, dressed it up. So as they are conjuring Satan, he the baboon sprung from this box. <laughs> and then every story ends up on the Earl of Sandwich, who starts screaming like a little girl, screaming for the devil to to please spare him. He's only half as wicked as the other guys. <laughs> so he never lived it down and tried to destroy John Wilkes after that. I don't even know where you okay. get a, where do you get a bamboo? I mean, not bamboo, a baboon, a baboon? in early England. Where did that happen? Where do you get those cute little horns? <laughs> so for that, I thought I would do a Satan's Whiskers, which is a pre-prohibition drink. If, uh, the recipe first appears in Harry Craddock's um, Savoy cocktail book in 1930. It might be from possibly a prohibition speakeasy in Hollywood called the Embassy Club. Either way, it's uh, kind of a nice gin cocktail. It's actually uh, very much like a Bronx cocktail, if someone is familiar with that. A Bronx is a very mild drink. It doesn't have balls. So this is kind of Satan's Whiskers is kind of like a Bronx with balls. It is gin. 
and Grand Marnier, both dry and sweet vermouth, uh, orange juice and a little orange bitters. So it's orangey. What's really good about this is it is um, all equal parts. I love a cocktail that's all equal parts. I think it, there's something very sophisticated about that to me in, it, in its simplicity. And you can make it two ways. If you, uh, you know, Satan's whiskers can be either straight or they can be curled. If you make it with Grand Marnier, you are having a Satan's Whiskers straight. If you make it with, uh, you know, uh, Orange Curacao, Triple Sec, you are making it curled. Don't anybody ask me why, because I can't figure that out. But that is what everyone says. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. Those recipes will be on our website, which is butidigestpodcast.com. And hopefully we will be talking to you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all at butidigestpod. So we're hoping you're going to uh, to continue this conversation with us. And I would love to hear your take on some of these uh, food things on whether or not they are considered a sandwich. And Feel free to share photos. If you make the straight or curly Satan whiskers, uh, send us a picture of what you what you put together. If you make your version of the Monday sandwich, I'd love to see kind of what uh, how you take it and make it your own. That's always a lot of fun. That sounds great. Um, are we are we done here? I'm done. I'm hungry. <laughs>